Welcome to the sermon podcast of Old Bridge Baptist Church. Our mission at OBBC is to make disciples of Christ who connect with God, others, ministry, and the lost. We pray that the following sermon will encourage you in your walk with Christ today. Visit us on the web anytime at obb.church. Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to that passage that was just read, Hebrews chapter 12. That's going to be our primary passage this morning. Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, as you turn there, I'm going to open us with a, another word of prayer. Father, we humble ourselves before you, before we, uh, Lord, discuss your word this morning. Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself from these ancient texts. Lord, help us to know you, Lord, not uh, the you that we imagine, but Lord, the you that you reveal in scripture. Father, we desire from, Lord, the depths of our heart to Lord, to please you as our Heavenly Father. We long to do the right thing for the right reasons. Father, we ask that you would move among us this morning. Lord, show yourself to be the living God through your matchless word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're just joining us, we're in the midst of a a sermon series examining the the plurality and the priority of biblical motivations for obedience to God. Last week, we talked about being motivated by love. And I made the assertion that God's love is the greatest of all motivations. This is an assertion that I took right out of the pages of Scripture. And as we move on to our next motivation this morning, as we talk about being motivated by fear this morning, I don't want you to forget or lose sight of the greatest motivation that we've already talked about, and and, and that is the motivation of love. There's no greater fuel to propel you in your Christian walk than that of the love of God. Now, even though love is the greatest of all biblical motivations, you need to know this morning that love is not the only motivation that the scriptures speak of. The Bible also instructs us to fear the Lord. One commentator had this to say, it says, if you looked up the word fear in your concordance, you would notice that there are no fewer than 150 to 175 explicit references to the fear of God. He goes on, he says, if you add to these explicit references the instances in Scripture where the fear of God is illustrated, though maybe not explicitly stated, it's accurate to say that the references to the fear of God run well into the hundreds. So I I, I simply share that with you to say that this is not some minor theme in Scripture, but it's it's a major emphasis now from the outset, I want, you, I want to just say that I want you to hear me out on this topic, okay? You know, last week I got to talk about the love of God 
And that's a, a really easy message to preach in some ways as a, as a preacher. You know that? People love to hear about the love of God, right? That's just like a wonderful message to preach. I love preaching it. But I also acknowledge that it's a message that really most people are going to agree with. Even people who maybe don't even believe in God are going to hear that message and say, okay, well, at least they're talking about being motivated by love. That's a good thing, right? That's an easy message to preach. But at the same time, it's not true when, when you talk about being motivated by fear. Uh, to the contrary, really, oftentimes, critics of religion, any kind of religion, will often say that religion is just a tool of the powerful to control the weak with fear. Have you heard that before? That religion is just trying to, to fear-monger. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes religion has been used in that way, hasn't it? I don't want to deny that. I would say sometimes when, when fear is the only driving motivation in someone's relationship with God, it actually twists them. Right? It can be misunderstood. You can become twisted and hateful and scared and bitter and hard and gnarled and self-contained by fear. It's not what we're talking about this morning. But I wonder, is it wrong to be motivated by fear at all? I think a lot of people would say so. You know the, the little green philosopher of the movie Star Wars? You know this guy? He gives voice to a prevailing sentiment in our culture, I think, when he said, I actually was going to have one of my sons come up here and do it in his voice, but I didn't want to embarrass them. He said this, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. Can you just hear Yoda saying that? I think that gives voice to a popular sentiment in, in our culture, doesn't it? A fear is almost always bad. But I, I wonder, does the Bible support this notion? Is all fear necessarily bad? You know, the, the Bible tells us in 1 John 4.18, I love this verse. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So clearly, there is a way in which God's love casts out fear. And we're not to be driven by or motivated by, by a certain kind of fear. Yet, on the other hand, we're also told in the Bible, in, in a passage like Proverbs 1-7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And we see it again in Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. You say, well, that's still in the Old Testament. We, we know better now that we're in the New Testament. Not so fast. Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, he commands Christians... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So how can we have both 
uh, be told both not to fear and to fear at the same time in the scriptures? What is this about? I think it's clear that biblically speaking, not all fear is bad. There are some ways in which we are to be motivated by fear, and there are some ways in which we are not to be motivated by fear. So let's dive into this. What is the fear of the Lord? In the Bible, the fear of the Lord can actually refer to a spectrum of attitudes. A spectrum. On the one extreme of this spectrum is what I would refer to as terror fear. Being terrified. I'm talking about that adrenaline-pumping, body-shaking, trembling fear that we notice, even when we read the Bible, whenever a, a sinful, fallen human creature appears before a holy God, it's going to result in fear, isn't it? I mean, even people who, who know the Lord really, really well, when they, when they suddenly find themselves in the presence of the holy God, they tremble. They fall to the ground as though dead in fear of the Lord because of His awesome holiness. Even righteous men like Job or prophets like Isaiah or even Jesus' own disciple John who is called the beloved disciple in the book of Revelation chapter 1, you'll see when he sees his friend Jesus who is now ex the exalted Lord Jesus Christ in his, all His glory and His splendor and His holiness, it says in Revelations 1 that, that John fell down at his feet as if dead. It's terror, fear. And so let's put that at, at one extreme of the spectrum of the fear of the Lord that we can read about in the Bible. Meanwhile, at the other end of the extreme here, we have what I would call awe, fear or respect. Right? These are, are words that we try to use that maybe don't quite get at it, right? Because we know what it means to stand at the, the rim of the Grand Canyon and to look out in awe at what you see, right? And yet, still, we know that if we were to stand before God, we would not only be in awe like we are at the Grand Canyon, but our knees would be knocking. There is an awe and a respect that leads to worship of God for who He is. This is the opposite end of this fear spectrum, and it, it's acknowledging that this God of love who we've come to know is not small, He's not tame, He's not common. He is holy, He's other, He's majestic, He's high, He's lifted up. And even after we have been assured by His love that we were talking about last week, even when we've been assured that we've been forgiven and accepted by Him, we still stand in awestruck wonder of Him and His majesty. And we are compelled to fall down and worship Him. The fear of the Lord as described in Scripture is a spectrum ranging from terror to awe to worship. And we need all of these. We need all of them. Let's talk first about terror. Terror fear. I, I would refer to terror fear of the Lord as the gateway to knowing God. Proverbs 1.7 that I, I read earlier says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
if you have come to truly know the Lord personally, then that means that at some point you came to realize that God is holy and that He possesses absolute moral purity in His holiness. And then you glance down at yourself and you realize, I do not possess absolute moral purity in myself, and yet God demands it of me, and that's a terrifying thing. You say, can't we just pass by all this unpleasantness and just rush straight headlong into God's love? I don't think you can. I think it's the fear of God that makes sense of the love of God. How can you understand Jesus Christ up on a cross, bloody, beaten, marred beyond recognition? How is that love? If you don't first understand the fear of God. The cross shows the terror of what our sin deserves. And at the same time, the cross shows the wonder of God's love. Because He sent His own Son to absorb the wrath that you deserve, that I deserve. God reveals both His holiness and His love, His holy love to us through the cross of Jesus Christ. And and this is just the beginning of wisdom, but I say you must begin here. Until you grasp this kind of terror fear of God at a heart level, nothing else we're talking about this morning is even going to make sense to you. I think Jesus expressed this in another way. He said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? You know, I, I, um, I, when I talk about that verse, I often, I maybe have done it here before, I often show this picture I found once of a, of a hearse. And on top of the hearse is strapped a whole bunch of worldly possessions. And on the side, someone wrote, you can't take it with you. And they just drive it around as a kind of a way to witness, I guess. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? There's a lot of things in this life that, that seem like wisdom. There's a lot of things that seem like they're worth pursuing. But if you don't begin with the fear of the Lord, then you can lose it all. My friends, it's the fear of God that can help us to understand the love of God which leads us to salvation. And in our Old Testament reading this morning, we read about the time that God showed up personally to literally instill the fear of the Lord in His people, the children of Israel. And I don't know if you, if you know the context of Exodus chapter 19 that was read, but it, it was when... God had brought the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and led them through the wilderness and they were here they were at the foot of Mount Sinai. And God's about to give them the Ten Commandments. Right? And, and about to give them the law. But specifically the Ten Commandments. And he has Moses bring all the people around and he shows up in all of his holiness in order to instill in his people sort of this terror fear of his holiness. Not that they might remain there, but that they might, for all of their days, know the Lord and fear the Lord and tremble at His word and want to obey Him. I think He wanted them to walk through this gateway to a a different kind of fear in all of Him. And it really, God showing up on this mountain really had that desired effect at first. The people were terrified. 
But it didn't last for long, if you know the story of Israel. But let me read for you what, what comes next in this story. So God shows up on Mount Sinai, and it's a very terrifying thing. And then immediately after that, God gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And then after the giving of the Ten Commandments, it says this in the text, beginning in verse 18. It says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. The people couldn't handle the holiness of God. He terrified them. And so on Mount Sinai, the Old Covenant was given to the children of Israel in the context of this kind of terror or fear that we're talking about here. It was given in the context of a, of a big display of the holiness of God. Now don't misunderstand me here this morning. Even though a terror fear of the Lord is a necessary gateway in our relationship with the Lord, I don't think it's where God intends us to remain. Remember that one of the key verses that I read to you at the beginning of this was 1 John 4.18 that says there's no fear in love. God doesn't tower over us and, and, and simply motivate us with fear and say, you better obey me or else. The love of God extended to us through Jesus Christ has the ability to remove the fear of punishment for our sins for all time. This terror fear of God that we feel when we realize I am a sinner before a holy God, it can be removed through the cross to realize that your condemnation has been not just swept under the rug, but it has been actually dealt with. And that, that removes fear. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus absorbed the terrible wrath of God toward my sin, toward your sin on the cross, so that I will never know the wrath of God. I believe that with all my heart. I will never know the wrath of God. I will never know the punishment or, or harm that God could righteously inflict on me because of my sin. He already inflicted it on His own Son, Jesus Christ. And so all fear of that is forever gone. And so even though I might walk through deep trials in this life, deep tribulations in this life, even though God may even discipline me as a loving father for my, for my sin, and even though God may discipline me, and it might hurt, I have this bedrock conviction in my life that anything that God allows into my life is for my good and His glory, not to harm me, but to help me and to push me closer to Him in Christ-likeness. And I've seen it happen in my life. And I've seen it happen in many of your lives as well. God in Christ is for me, not against me. All terror fear of God is forever gone for those who have received the love of God at the foot of the cross.
But here's where the curious thing happens. When we come to the cross and when we receive the love of God, you would think that the love of the fear of God is taken away. But that's not what we find. The fear of the Lord doesn't vanish at the cross, rather it is transformed into something beautiful. It is transformed into something even more useful than terror. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us as we draw even nearer to the holy God through Jesus Christ, the fear of the Lord is transformed into awestruck wonder that leads to worship. And I love how the author of Hebrews symbolizes this transformation of fear by speaking about two different mountains. It's such a a neat symbol. The first mountain was Mount Sinai, what we read in Exodus chapter 19 at the giving of the law when God showed up in his terror fear and he terrified his people with his holiness. And the people cowered and said, don't speak to us. Moses, you go and speak to God for us. We know we can't draw near to him in, in his holiness. That's Mount Sinai. And here in Hebrews chapter 12, the, the author of Hebrews says, for you have not come to what may, may be touched. And he goes on to describe in the first few verses here, Mount Sinai. He says, you haven't come to a mountain like that. And the second mountain that the author of Hebrews brings up is the heavenly Mount Zion. And, and this isn't the, the literal Mount Zion that, that is in Jerusalem right now that you could go hop on an airplane and go, go fly to, he's referring to a heavenly Mount Zion. The place where God literally dwells in heaven. And it's a place you can't yet see, you can't yet touch and feel. And he describes this here, in verse, starting in verse 22. He says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What's going on here? I think this is like like dynamite when you understand this. The author of Hebrews, in seeking to instill in his readers the fear of the Lord, that's what he was trying to do because the, the, the people that the author of Hebrews was writing to, they were undergoing persecution. And they were tempted to fall back from following the Lord. But, but the author of Hebrews says, no, you, you shouldn't fear those who are persecuting you. Don't fear the fear of man. Don't fear what man can to, do to you. Let me instill in you the fear of the Lord. And first he takes them to Mount Sinai. He says, remember Mount Sinai? He's writing to Jewish people. He says, remember Exodus chapter 19? Remember Mount Sinai? And remember how the people trembled in fear of the Lord? And and, and he says, you haven't come to a mountain that you can literally touch. You haven't come to Mount Sinai with all of its gloom and doom. He says, you've come to a mountain you cannot touch. I recognize you can't see it. You can't touch it yet. I wish I could bring you to the the foot of the mountain of Mount Sinai where you could see the holiness of God and you could hear the trumpets blasting and you could feel the boom of God's voice 
wouldn't that really instill in you the fear of the Lord? But he says, no, you, you have come to a, a mountain that cannot be seen. I recognize it can't be seen, it can't be touched yet, but this is where you are. You are in, in the very midst of the holy God through Jesus Christ, a better mediator than Moses. You have drawn near to the living holy God in a way that the people in Exodus chapter 19 couldn't even imagine. And so he doesn't dial the fear back. He actually dials the fear up. He says, he doesn't say, look, I know you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ and and he loves you and you don't need to fear him anymore. No, he says, you've actually drawn even closer to the Holy God. He dials it up. He's worthy of even greater fear, an awestruck fear that leads to worship. Look at verse 25. He says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned from on earth at Mount Sinai, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. And then in verses 26 through 28, the, the author of Hebrews here, he goes on to contrast how at Mount Sinai, God's voice shook the earth. But he says there's going to be another time when God speaks from heaven, from Mount Zion, and the whole earth is going to be shook. And the only thing that's going to remain is the unshakable kingdom of God. And we're awaiting God speaking in that way. We don't fear Him less, we fear Him more. Look at verse 28 and 29. He says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Jesus transforms our terror fear of God into a greater, more valuable, and more precious fear the fear of the Lord that is our joy and our delight. The love of Christ doesn't remove fear of God, it changes it into something beautiful. And that brings me to my final point. Don't let me lose my wonder. Keith and Kristen Getty wrote a song 15 years ago now, simply entitled this, Don't Let Me Lose My Wonder. And the refrain of that song is that line just repeated twice as a a simple, soulful prayer to God. Oh God, don't let me lose my wonder of you. You ever heard it said that familiarity breeds contempt? I think sometimes church people of all people become too familiar in such a way that familiarity breeds contempt. I'm here to tell all of us this morning, myself included, your view of God is too small. And your fears of lesser things are too great. Your fear of people, your fear of your circumstances. 
You need the the terror fear of the Lord to lead you to salvation, and you need the awe fear of the Lord to sustain you in your walk. You need more wonder in your faith. Paul commanded us in Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13, he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Paul's not telling Christians to return to Mount Sinai. He's not saying return to gloom and doom and terror-filled, servile fear of judgment. If you know anything about Paul, you know that's not what he's saying. No, Paul is instructing us to work out what God is working in and to realize that God's got His fingerprints all over you. He's working in you. The Holy God has His hand upon you and He's doing something in your life and stand in all of it in awestruck wonder of what God is doing. We're to have a sense of awe and a sense of trembling. And I think this is actually a a secret to the Christian life. We ought to pursue awestruck wonder of God. We, We talk all the time about, oh, that was awesome, or this was awesome, or, you know, I had an awesome time. Only God is truly awesome. And to be struck with awe and wonder of Him is an awesome thing. We talked last week about the expulsive power of a new affection as we learn to love God as a greater love than all of our lesser loves. Right? What has the power to, to drive away my, my love for sin and for things that are, are offensive to God? Well, it's a greater love that God pours into my life for Him and for other people that drives out those lesser loves. Right? I think the same thing can be said about our motivation of fear. You are going to fear something. You are a fragile uh, human being with many things surrounding you that could harm you at any time. People, things, wars, threats of wars, diseases, the economy, loss of job, all sorts of fears can crowd in on you. You're going to fear something. But what you need is a greater fear. Fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord has the power to drive out all lesser fears in your life. Are you a fearful person? And you don't overcome that by somehow just ignoring fear. You overcome it by finding finding this kind of awestruck fear in the Lord. Psalm 27.1 captures this for us. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When you fear the Lord most of all, everything else becomes less scary, doesn't it? And why would you want to lose a sense of this kind of wonder in your your Christian walk? I'm always puzzled by people wanting to bring God down to make Him so small that He just becomes my buddy. Bringing God down and stripping of of His holiness so that He becomes commonplace. Why would you want to do that? You need not only the love of God in your life, the pure, 
matchless love of God. You need the awesome fear of God in your life. He is bigger than you and you need that. You should crave it. You should seek it with all your heart. And I imagine that there are are people here this morning who are saying to me right now in their hearts, all right, you sold me. I, I, I get it. I need the fear of the Lord, but how do I seek it? How do I get more of this kind of fear of the Lord in my life? Well, let me just encourage you in closing here that there are, are, are really two primary ways that I see of beholding the Lord and all of His holiness and, and being impacted in, in this kind of all-type fear of Him. You need the Lord to reveal Himself to you. And, and do you know that the Lord does that in two primary ways? Theologians call it general revelation of God and special revelation of God. The first one, you can capture a sense of the fear of the Lord from what we call general revelation, from creation itself. You know, when my family and I recently went for Christmas break down to to North Carolina, we got to spend some time at the beach together at a beach house. And our first evening there, I was... Uh, as the sun was beginning to set, I was drawn down to the beach because I was standing on the patio and I looked out and I saw dolphins beginning to, to, to break the surface of the water out there just off the coast. They were so close. So I gathered the family up and we went down to the waters and, and it was almost a, just an a otherworldly experience because a, a mist rolled in off the ocean to where everything just kind of became fuzzy. And there was dolphins breaking off the coast. And as the sun dipped down into the Atlantic Ocean, the sky became just full of, of glory. I'm, just, I'm, I'm overcome just remembering it. I was, over, I was so overcome in that moment with the joy and beauty of not just being around my family, but the joy and the beauty of what God was painting in the skies and in the atmosphere around me. You know, I like to watch nature documentaries and it drives me crazy when they, when they are talking about something beautiful and they, they attribute it to Mother Nature. I don't know about you, but I don't want nature to be my mother. I'd rather worship the Father Creator. who made it all. And if you've had experiences like that in God's creation and you realize that God, the holy God who made this amazing earth, reveals himself and his glory in little glimpses all around us every day, you can begin to seek that kind of experience of the holiness of God. But that's not the primary way that we experience the fear of the Lord, is it? The primary way that we experience the fear of the Lord is through special revelation, through His Word. Right? We're not just learning about some general God. We know specific things about Him and we learn that through His Word, the Bible, His gift to us. Probably the, the mountaintop moments of my life have been not on a literal mountaintop, but have been on the mountaintop of God's Word as I'm either alone in my room or in a study and I'm learning about God and God taps me on the shoulder 
And he says, hey, Stan, come up here for a minute. And he takes you up to the mountaintop and he gives you a glimpse of his glory from his perspective. And he reveals himself to you in his character. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I live for those moments. Not only alone in, in my, my own personal study, but also gathered with God's people. In, in the preaching of God's Word, the reading of His Word, those are some, some holy moments. If you've walked with the Lord for many years, you could probably think back over Bible conferences you've been to or chapels you've been to or, or just powerful sermons that you heard where you knew that the Lord was speaking to you. It's the fear of the Lord. My prayer, my simple prayer for you this morning is this. That you might know the fear of the Lord. Not just the terror of Him, but that you might know the fear of the Lord that begins in terror, but leads to something beautiful. An awestruck wonder of Him.